Welcome back in, DJ and PK. DJ's off today. I'm PK, joining us for the final hour of the show. Thank you for listening, as always. Huge trade in the NBA went down yesterday. Joining us now from the Washington Post, their college and pro sports reporter, Scott Allen. Scott, good morning. Thanks for coming on the show out here in Salt Lake City. Hey, PK. Thanks for having me. Anytime. So, first off, let's start with the availability of a John Wall. What is going on? Because we know he's had the health issue, major health issue. Yeah. Um, so it was. It's, it's been an interesting few weeks. I mean, this kind of seemed inevitable when the uh, when the reports of of Wall wanting out of DC popped up around Thanksgiving, um, and then not to say it wasn't still shocking last night to to see that Woj bomb. But in the interim, I mean, you had Tommy Shepard, the Wizards GM, basically saying that Wall had not requested a trade. Wall himself issued no comment. But in terms of his availability, Shepard said, you know, they were going to kind of watch his minutes at the beginning of the year. I mean, after that Achilles injury, probably not going to be back to to what he was, despite what Kevin Durant and some others said about how good he's looked um, this offseason. Um, so that, I think, made him a little bit more difficult to move. Um, obviously, the injury history and the fact that he's maybe not at 100% is why the Wizards ultimately had to throw in that protected first-round pick. So why did he want out? What's the core of the issues there? Well, it's it could be a lot of things. I mean, one thing that happened, he hasn't played in basically two years, and you know, even when he and Bradley Beal were playing together, there were these just constant rumors that, that they didn't like each other. They didn't get along off the court, and that was affecting their play on the court. They seemed to finally put that to bed. They had some success um, before Wall together, before went, Wall went before Wall went down with his latest injury. Um, but when he basically missed all of the, the last two seasons, pretty much, Beal really stepped into that number one role. I mean, he averaged 30 points per game last year as, as the main guy on that team. And, and there are suggestions that, you know, that kind of rubbed wall, rubbed wall the wrong way. I mean, he, he was so used to being the guy in DC. This was his city as he was fond of saying he did so much in the community. He was loved. Um, but I mean, in, in a lot of cases, it's hard to have those two alpha superstars and Beal was kind of establishing himself as, as that guy in D.C. Scott Allen from the Washington Post joining us. So from the Washington perspective, and most of us out here, we're going to care from the Houston perspective because the Houston is in contention mm-hmm. with the Jazz for jockeying in the West Western Conference. But i got to ask you this. It breaks the question then, all right, uh, Russell Westbrook isn't exactly a wallflower here. <laughs> so how is it going to be better for Bradley Beal with Westbrook because it seems like, you know, I could argue that John Wall is a poor man's Russell Westbrook. I mean, and I don't really want to use that expression, but the idea being both guys are explosive with the ball and can get down the floor in the blink of an eye, but they need the ball to be able to be effective. How is Westbrook yeah. going to integrate with Beal? Yeah, that's the, that's the big question, and that's why this trade comes with a ton of risk. And I think, you know, in addition to – how much Wall was loved here by fans. I think that's the that's the biggest concern um, from a fan's perspective in terms of evaluating this trade. Because as you mentioned, I mean Westbrook is is not a spring chicken. He's two years older than Wall, though he has been a lot more durable. 
um, you know, who knows when when he does finally break down. But I think you're right. It's it's the bigger concern that the style of play that um, you know he's he's shown in throughout his career. Really, I mean, is there going to be enough shots and ball control to go around with? Is he going to complement Bradley Beal well? I mean, you could you could make the case. I think that you know Wall at less than 100%, not his same explosive self, is more of a distribute first guy, is a better match with Beal. If they can put any of their personal differences, so such as they existed, aside, um, you know, maybe Westbrook can can be that guy as as he gets a little bit older and be happy to, to just constantly feed Beal. There are reports that he's he actually wanted to play in D.C., which which is rare to hear from, from the Wizards' perspective, but he does get to reunite with uh, with that coach Scott Brooks, so that's something. Um, but you're right. I mean, from a from a pure basketball standpoint, there's the Wizards are taking on a huge risk here, and, and it could completely blow up in their face. Scott Allen from the Washington Post joining us this morning. On the flip side, how is Wall going to mesh with Harden? Now, the Harden issue obviously is still debatable whether he'll be there, but when you read the reports out of Houston, they intend to keep him, at least for the time being. We'll see how it plays out. So training camps are opening. How do you think that works out? Yeah, no, I saw a report from somewhere this morning that Harden wanted to play with Wall, and and the other key guy on that team is, you know, for years when – when Wall was in D.C., the talk was of him. Is he going to be able to recruit his best friend, uh, Boogie Cousins, to the Wizards? That obviously never happened. But now Wall finally gets to play with uh, with his fellow Kentucky Wildcat. Um, so I think from a chemistry standpoint, that could that could work out well. Maybe he'll be happier. Um, yeah, it'll, it remains to be seen if Harden is on the move. The Wizards sure hope that he that he stays in in the Western Conference. Um, but yeah, I think if he does stay, that could be that's going to be a really interesting team to watch. And I know that Wizards fans, just given how much they love John Wall, will be will be tuning into a lot more Rockets games than they have in the past. So we'll have two Kentucky guys on the mend. Who, when they're good, when they're right, they've proven yeah. to be very good players. But we don't know to the level of them being right. And then you got Harden, who has been very durable and very consistent in terms of scoring. So it seems like if all things come together, Houston can be very good or they could crash or somewhere in between, I guess. Yep. I think they probably have, you know, looking at the teams as training camp get underway, there's probably not a lot of teams with more variability in how they could could finish the season. I mean, there was that was kind of the idea in Washington too. I mean, they, they seemed like the Wizards seemed like a team that was on the outside looking in at the playoff picture um, with Wall, just because so many questions about you know he says he's 100 percent, everyone says he looks great, but you got to see him really on the court in, in game action to see you know how he is physically and then how he meshes with with, with Beal. Um, now I think people feel the Wizards have have gotten better at least for this year with, with Russ and are maybe a solid six seed or so uh, in the playoffs. But yeah, the Rockets, um, a, a lot of, a lot of possible outcomes there. I think, I think you're right. 
Well, Scott, make sure you're nice to Russell Westbrook because I understand based on we've got a guy that we've known in Oklahoma City for many years and we have him on the show. And as you know, uh-huh. Scott uh, Westbrook can carry a grudge for a good long while against some media guys. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, thing is, the one thing that's good, um, not that John Wall isn't interesting, but uh, Russell Westbrook is not boring. And <laughs> it's going to make for a, a, an incredible uh, season to follow here in D.C. and, and the Wizards. Um, it's not something you can always say about the Wizards franchise. So I know we're happy to have to talk with Russ and have him in D.C. So I'm a friend of Jason Reed's. He works back, used to work for the Washington Post. Do you know him at all? I know him a little bit, yeah. He was here for a couple of years um, when I first started um, before he left for, for ESPN. But, yeah, good guy. If you have an opportunity to interact with him, tell him PK says that he's overrated and full of himself. <laughs> Will do. <laughs> we go back you thirty can find years. Him on Twitter too. <laughs> All right, Scott. Thanks for joining us this morning. All right, thanks. Anytime, PK. All right, there you go. Breaking down the trade. Very interesting trade. Uh, I don't know that I can say malcontents because I don't know Westbrook was there long enough to be a malcontent in Houston. But it's from the Jazz perspective. Obviously, Houston is a direct competitor for what the Jazz are trying to accomplish. And if that's one team that's going to take a fall, uh, maybe a fall is too strong, a drop, well, it bodes well for the Jazz uh, moving up the standings. Now, you can't just base yourself and your product based on, well, we hope the other teams aren't as good. And that's going to catch you in the end, and it's not the objective. And I don't think that's the objective of Justin Zanuck and Dennis Lindsay to sit back and say, well, team X, Y, and Z aren't as good, so that's going to make us better. That's not the way it works. Uh, but it's something that uh, we're going to watch to see what the Rockets are able to do. How do they play? What is it going to mean now with Westbrook gone? I mean, uh, they've tr- they've two years in a row, you're trading Chris Ball, Hall of Famer. Rhett Westbrook, I think statistically, he may not be the winner that uh, people thought he would be, particularly when he was with Durant earlier with Oklahoma City. It looked like they were set up to win for a number of years even when they had James Harden, too, and it didn't really pan out. So you never really know what's going to happen two or three years in pro sports is 10 or 20 in the regular working world. Uh, But nevertheless, statistically, Westbrook is going to have Hall of Fame credentials. I don't think we can argue that. But yet they traded those guys two years in a row. That's just massive. And then they trade Clint Capella, who we had a guy from Houston. Remember that, Yach, who was talking about uh, a couple years back? He was better than Gobert. Yeah, isn't that Brian T. Smith? <laughs> yeah, there you go. Used to work at the Watchdog yeah. here in uh, in town. He's now the he's now the columnist down at the Houston Chronicle. Yeah, and we had him on, and he was saying, "No, Capella's better." These people taking shots at at Gobert. Well, where where did Capella end up? I don't even know where he ended up. He got traded. He got shipped off. I believe he was sent to Atlanta. I don't know. I'd have to double check that. I'd have to double to check that too. But honestly, you're right. He has disappeared off the face of the earth. Yeah. To you, then that's a relative term, but after leaving Houston, he's done nothing so far. Right, and so Houston making these massive moves, and the Jazz just don't do that to that degree. Make, I mean, occasionally the Darren Williams was a blockbuster for sure, uh, and uh, you know they made signings and all, but these types of moves and back-to-back off seasons, wow. 
what does it mean for them? And uh, my biggest, know, Jazz, yeah. Go ahead. Well, my biggest question now is how long is James Harden in a Houston uniform? Yeah, and does he stay? Does he? And he he wants to play with John Wall now. Now Houston owns uh, his. I mean, he's under contract. Is what I'm yes, trying to he say. is. So. Uh, use and controls where the man goes, and I don't know that he would make necessarily make it miserable uh, and force his way. But uh, just because he forces, he wants out. I mean, they got to get. Any, anytime you trade a superstar of that level, you're probably not going to get equal value, but you got to get as much value as possible. And yeah, he would want to go to the Nets, and boy, that would be an interesting story if he goes to the Nets with. Uh, Durant and, and Irving. I don't worry as much about Durant uh, as as I do there are Irving. Enough shots you know, to go around for all those shooters. What is his mood from day to day? Yeah, uh, Durant. I think wants to prove that uh, he can win without uh, all the ammunition he had in Oakland. So I think he'll be okay as long as he comes back from that injury that caused him to miss the whole season. Uh, he should be okay. But you know, New Jersey, you got to get some guys. New Jersey has some decent talent. Right? I keep saying New Jersey. You mean Brooklyn, Brooklyn now? Yeah, and it, it'll be in my heart. They're New Jersey. It's like with you DJ, the both. Chargers will always be San Diego. Well, no, it, it, it's the New Jersey <laughs> Nets, man. Like the old blue and red and white uniforms. Like it's yeah, yeah. Even though I was never a fan, I just keep calling them Jersey. But uh, they moved across the uh, bridge there into Brooklyn, where I used to spend a lot of time as a kid in Brooklyn. My grandmother lived in Brooklyn for a good portion of the time that we lived in New Jersey. It's only about 30 miles away from where we lived. Uh, So interesting stuff to follow in the NBA and particularly in the Western Conference. I mean, it's a stacked and loaded Western Conference. I'm not one of these guys who believes that Golden State is going to crash and burn without Klay Thompson. I don't believe that. I think they'll be very competitive, particularly on any given night. Certainly not like they were this past season where they weren't competitive. We understand why. But the point being that I think they're going to be in the playoff mix. And Phoenix is talking up a big big, uh, story with them getting Chris Paul. They think they're going to be better. Denver should be better just because of the fact they're a year older. Clippers are interesting to see what's going to happen with them. Where are they coming from? I don't know yet. I mean, they made massive moves, uh, coaching staff, uh, personnel-wise, Montrose Harold losing him, getting Ibaka. Uh, what does that mean? A lot of, a lot of unknowns that need to play out on the court. Lakers, healthy, favorite. Put in the word healthy, preceding the Lakers, favorite would follow. I think that's understood. Uh, they're the favorite. They're the best team out there. So we'll have to see how that plays all right. All right, hey, get you up to date. Get back to the big story of the day. Got some college basketball talk before we finish up. Thanks for joining us. 97.5, 1280 The Zone. The Zone Sports Network is Utah's number one choice for sports radio in Utah. From DJ and PK to Hanson Scotty and the Big Show with Gordon Monson and Jake Scott. The Zone continues to dominate the competition. Thank you to all of you that continue to make the Zone Sports Network Utah's highest rated, most listened to sports station. Your home for the best coverage of the teams you're passionate about is right here. 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. 9.30. Thanks for joining us, DJ and PK. DJ's out today. I'm PK. I'm having right now the opportunity to talk to a man who I simply love, and that's Tim Lacombe. Tim, 
I love you. I love you. And what does PK stand for? What does PK stand for? Yeah. Pure, pure kindness. Pure kindness. Yeah. Unless you're on the golf course and you're within a couple shots, I'm within a couple shots of you, and you won't give me the putt, which has <laughs> happened plenty of times with you, man. <laughs> give me the putt, BK. Pure kindness. That's that's why I asked the question. Now I'm gonna make sure you live up to your namesake. I'm always humble and kind, as my good friend Tim McGraw sings. How good is that song? If we would just live by that <laughs> as a society, everybody would be embracing and passing COVID and be crazy. Yeah, well, I mean, if that other party, political party, would just live by what they should be living by, we'd be okay then. Yeah, that other one. Yeah. See, that's, you're, you're a pro. You're trying to bait me into a into this controversy, but I'm just going to agree with you. That other party, you're right. <laughs> I hate those people, man. A couple of years ago, I would have walked right into that one, but I've been around you long enough now. A seasoned pro, former BYU assistant basketball coach, also worked up at the U. College basketball, getting into full swing, which is great, great news. Conference games, the U starts with uh, Washington tonight. We've got BYU just thoroughly thrashed by SC. My gosh, that was disappointing. And then they come back, and they play well against St. John's. Nice victory. And I got to say, this Gideon George, he's the best Gideon since the Gideon's Bible, wouldn't you say? No doubt. Um, you know, it's, it's always fun when uh, these new guys come in. You don't know a whole lot about them. Obviously, Gideon has an uh, awesome story. Um, he, you know, my favorite part was, you know, reading a story about how he used to sleep by the court and wait for people, you know, so he didn't have to. When people come to play, he could uh, he could be there and play with them. And I just I think what they found in these last two games, especially, is just a guy who really can compete, but is so versatile. You know, he he actually showed me that he can play the three a lot. Um, I didn't realize he kind of had the game he had putting it on the floor, and he's got a sweet stroke. Um, so I, I think BYU found a really important piece that I'm sure they felt like there was a possibility that they had, but until you get out there and see it, you don't really know. And the way he responded in both games, really, I thought he was he was the one lone bright spot against USC. And then, um, you know, yesterday, the way he played, 15 boards, and in my mind, getting that offensive rebound on the free throw after Averett had missed two, Cougars were up four. Man, that thing could have really slipped right there. Um, but he, you know, just gives extra effort and gets the offensive rebound on a free throw, and the Cougs are able to kind of salt that one away. But definitely a exciting new guy that we can watch locally in Gideon George. And a ton of credit to BYU because it is so hard when you get, um, you know, for lack of a better word, it really is. It's just you're devastated, you know, because you put all this time and effort into it. You get an opportunity to go play on national television. And, you know, they played as poorly as they probably could play. And it was awesome to see them come back yesterday, you know, being disappointed in the middle of all that adversity. And, and you know, I, I would say they didn't play stellar, but they what they did was they competed stellar. And the reason they won the game is because they, they had that chip on their shoulder for sure. 
So Tim McComb joining us, former BYU assistant basketball coach. Pope is playing a lot of dudes. Does he need to narrow it down a little bit? You know, I don't know if he does. I really kind of liked, I mean, early on I thought maybe so, but um, I think the way that he's presenting this to those guys, the way it seems anyway, is that each opportunity, each night they go out, there's going to be kind of a group of guys that are going to be best suited to to do what they do best. I mean, we didn't see Colby Lee, but two minutes yesterday. And early, you know, the first couple of games, Colby had his first game, he had seven assists and scored the ball great. So I think what they have is really um, a versatile lineup. I think you probably won't see him playing 11-12 probably, but I bet you see him playing 10, you know, playing 10. Most, I think Spencer Johnson came in and gave him some good minutes yesterday. Um, you know, off the bench, and and again, a guy like Gideon George, who they weren't quite sure what they had perhaps in him, and now they see a guy that can fl- really kind of play two positions. Hyped up freshman, uh, loner, head spinning a little bit. Oh yeah, you know what's cool about Caleb though is, and and I always found this with guys. I remind people all the time. Tyler Hawes missed his first twelve threes as a as a college player. Um, and the one thing that you got to love about Loner, though, is what's really actually um, Division One level right now is his defense and rebounding. You know, I mean, he was late on a rotation yesterday, uh, and that stuff's going to happen. But like being able to guard his guy and what he's bringing to them on the glass, I think he had seven boards, um, you know, several offensive. He'll get it. You know, he's a guy who. The only way you can go through it is to go through it. Um, experience is the great teacher, and he can't can't skip a step. So one of these times, you know, a three's going to go in for him. It's going to break the lid there. And But I, I really love the physicality he brings, and I love uh, the way he's rebounding the ball. Tim McComb, former BYU assistant basketball coach, joining us, also does some jazz work here for the zone. You, Scott Washington, now one of your friends – former UNLV head coach, BYU, Utah State assistant Dave Rice is still on the Washington staff as far as I know, and they're yeah. 0-2. And it's one thing to lose to UC San Bernardino, but they lost to UC Riverside. So the Utes play them. I'm thinking that the Utes start their season 1-0. and You definitely have to think that looking at it. I think, uh, you know, the the Washington flew to, to Las Vegas and played Baylor, um, and Baylor crushed them. Um, I think it was close to 40. And then last, I guess it was uh, Monday, they played Riverside uh, in Vegas, and Riverside beat them 15. Even a little bit more scary part of that is they scored 42 points. Um, so they lost a lot last year. They lost McDaniels uh, in the draft. Obviously, he went to the draft, and, and they lost Stewart, who Stewart. I love. Um, yeah. Everybody was telling me, you know, Stewart's just a marginal. He's a fringe NBA guy. And I'm like, no, that kid's a first-round pick, man. And he ended up going 16, I believe. Um, and I love Stewart. So they lost a lot. And I do think the Utes actually have some, some really fun new faces, too. Um, they bring Ian Martinez from California. Uh, his, his dad, Henry, is one of the assistant coaches. Um, and Ian had a really, really good club uh, career and also 
uh, great high school career, really versatile player, so it'll be fun to watch Ian. Um, the guy that, that everybody's really kind of excited about up on the hill is a kid named Pell Larson, um, another European kid that they've brought in. Um, in talking to my buddies up there um, on the hill, they kind of liken Pell to kind of a Kyle Collinsworth type guy, does a little bit of everything. Um, they, re- they feel like he shoots the ball. Uh, actually a little better than Kyle did um, from the perimeter, but also has all that ability to make plays off the bounce and find guys and rebound the ball. So uh, you kind of plug those guys in with uh, another, you know, a, a year more with Carlson. Um, Timmy Allen, obviously the guy who they think is going to be one of the better players in the Pac-12. So, yeah, I, I would think, PK, they should start the season 1-0. Um, but the best part about it is at 4 o'clock we can flip it on and see what happens. What do the Utes need to do to be an NCAA tournament team? Well, it's, you know, it, it's so funny because at the beginning of every season, you know, I think that's everybody's goal. Uh, and the way you do it, in a simple, the simple answer to that is you win your games. You know, you win, win the games you're supposed to win and go steal a couple. Um the Utes have the ability within the league, and I know the Pac-12 hasn't been as great the last few years in, um, in terms of NCAA success, but very talented league. Um, really, it's a matter of getting all your guys on the same page, you know, going out there and finishing. I mean, I think you have to finish any more, uh, probably in the top three of the Pac-12, and you've got you've to have some wins of note. Um, outside a league, which they're going to have an opportunity. You know, they play, I believe they're playing BYU and Utah State, uh, who are pretty well thought of. Um, I, I, I mean, it's just a matter of winning those games in non-league that, that are winning a couple of those games that people think you, you know, maybe a 50-50 game and then winning all the ones you need to win and doing a good job in league. Tim McComb joining us. Gonzaga? Based on what they've already done, have they pretty much clinched the number one seed? <laughs> Holy cow, man! Uh, well, a couple things about the Zags. I I flipped them on. I I can't tell you, PK, how awesome it is to watch them now and just appreciate them instead of you know this time of year, particularly uh, the last you know twelve years prior. You'd watch them right now and you'd be like, "Holy smokes! How in the world?" I mean, it instantly went to how you know how are we going to guard this and how are we going to do that. Um, now it's just a matter of being able to sit back and kind of watch what they do and really appreciate it. I think they've taken the next step. So I think they've gone in phases. Um, they just got their first real high level national recruit, uh, that everybody right out of the gate thinks is great. And they got him right out of high school. He's not a transfer. Um, he's not a guy who they brought in from Europe. This is a kid who I think he was a sixth ranked player in the, um, in in the high school class and the, and they got him and I think he may be a top three player in the draft. I think that's how good this kid is. Speaking of Jalen uh, Suggs. Suggs, yeah, and it was a little scary last night. He he tweaked his. Uh, it looked like it could have been a non-contact Achilles injury, and yeah. luckily it was an ankle tweak, and he was able to come back in. Um, but I just think Gonzaga, from the outside looking in, and having seen all their teams through the years. This might be the best constructed team they've ever had for winning a national championship. Um, they've had great guards in the past. They've had great big guys in the past. Uh, 
But I think what they have this year is just uh, I think they have elite guards in a lot of them. Um, and they have guys who, uh, with size like Suggs, who's six 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 seven, um, really interchangeable guys. They have Aaron Cook, who transferred from Southern Illinois. Uh, you know, he led their team to twenty plus wins last year. They add Nemhart right here at the buzzer from Florida, uh, who's had a storied career. Um, I love Timmy on the inside. I think the one piece that maybe they're not getting a whole lot right now out of their four. Um, and I think Antoine Watson's playing that, and I think that they don't have a lot of depth there. But, man, you throw Kispert and Suggs and Cook and Nemhard and Ayaye and Timmy, and, man, they, they have some, some really good pieces. I think they're a number one seed, and I think right now after watching Baylor last night, they play Baylor Saturday, and I think it will yeah. be a total uh, con- kind of conversion of two styles. You know, Baylor wants to beat you up and play in the half court and defend you. The Zags want to get out and run, turn you over, get out and, and get easy baskets. It's going to be an awesome kind of uh, game one and two with totally different styles, but I would expect the Zags to win that game. Cougars an NCAA tournament team? Yeah, I think that, uh, you know, obviously the USC game didn't didn't help, but to flip around in one in less than 24 hours, and look, St. John's is not a, a great team. They're picked ninth in the, in the Big East, okay? But they still came off, they were coming off a day of rest. They scored 97 against Boston College and beat Boston College, and, and BYU handled them. I think BYU's where BYU kind of always is. Um, right now, they're on a fr- in the fringe discussion of the NCAA tournament, but they have an opportunity with the schedule they play, um, playing Utah State now in Logan, um, being able to play B State, who's really well thought of at home, and then uh, having the opportunity to play San Diego State in Utah. I think they've got a great schedule, and if they can win the, those games and compete well in the league, right now you know it's the same suspects as Gonzaga. St. Mary's is uh, off to a decent start, and um, in San Francisco has a marquee win over Virginia. The league's going to be pretty well thought of. So if I had to slide my chips in, I would slide my chips in on the side of BYU getting in the tournament this year. All right, that's some college basketball. We'll look forward to the games coming up. Utah State, BYU on Saturday, and the Utes kicking off conference play tonight. Tim, thanks for joining us. You bet, man. Pure kindness. I'm going to never forget it. <laughs> okay. And mine, as, what does... mine for you to know is TLC, which is not Tim Lacombe. It's Tender Loving Care. Uh, so, I believe that's what TLC is, yeah. Maybe you and I should start like a multi-level marketing skincare deal, PK and TLC. Um, and then you could read the promotions online and we could get a business going let's think about well that. then you th- you throw in some essential oils and the next thing you know we can get uh real house husbands of salt lake city from what i understand there's different kinds of essential oils there's street grade um you know and that's going to do a little bit more for you and then you know down to the holistic stuff so yeah we can work our way through that but let's find some oil that uh gets people excited <laughs> are we going to get a tv show well, I mean, if we want to just crush the ratings, yes, but I don't know if we want to do that quite yet to people. Let's let's give them small doses of this. 
there's a lot of places I can go, but I sense a somewhat of a reluctance on the TV show thing. <laughs> well, the, well, the whole the whole thing with uh, yeah, you and I don't look the best. We got face for radio. Um, what I will say though is we really need to start politicking to get DJ off the air. I, I think it's, he's had his run. He's Mister, you know, your partner, DJ. Uh, vague. Oh, the soccer guy. Yeah, the soccer guy who wins all those awards. I think he's had his run. Let's let's have him retire, put him on emeritus status, and uh, let's TLC and PK. Let's run with that. All right, we'll see what we can do. Thanks for joining us, Tim. All right, guys, thank you so much. See you. That's uh, Tim McComb, former BYU assistant, also worked up at the U in college hoop, and that's getting going. The Utes 4 o'clock today on the Pac-12 Network against Washington. Washington's 0-2, got smoked by Riverside. You'd have to think the Utes, uh, hopefully they're healthy and ready to go and you can start off the season with a nice victory, go 1-0 in conference. Uh, the opportunity is right there. 4 o'clock this afternoon on the Pac-12 Network, looking to see the product that Larry puts out on the floor this year, excited to see what they can do. All right, your feedback, BYU, Coastal Carolina. What does it mean as far as New Year's Day 6? Stay with us. We'll wrap up the show next. 97.5, 1280 The Zone. And it's all over almost here. Don't go nowhere. All right. Thanks for joining us. Big story of the morning. BYU in Coastal Carolina this Saturday, 3.30 ESPNU. Bruce Feldman tweets out, spoke to a BYU coach and told me he was up till 5 a.m. last night studying Coastal Carolina and was right back at it three hours later this morning. That is dedication by the Cougars. How about that, man? Working on three hours of sleep. This is gigantic. Stuart Mandel says if the Cougars win and beat San Diego State next week, they're in New Year's Day 6. The promised land will be reached. You buying all that? BYU, is this that big enough? Scott tweets at me, Coastal Carolina rated higher than any Pac-12 team. Not bad. Coastal Carolina would win the Pac-12? You fans, what do you think about that? Words of wisdom says uh-uh, this game seems to be high risk for a small for a chance for a small reward. If BYU football loses, it will something they will never it will be something they will never live down. If they win, even by thirty, people will say Coastal Carolina was just not good enough. That brings up an interesting dilemma. Do you want to run up the score against these guys if you're BYU? Now, Kalani Sataki just smacked me in the back of the head. What are you talking about running up the score? We want to win the game. Let's not be worrying about running up the score. But if you run up the score, does that prove that uh, Coastal Carolina is a bunch of frauds? Do you want a closer game that with five minutes left potentially is still in doubt? You want that nerve-wracking or do you want to be a bit comfortable so you're up by 14? And unless you totally choke, you've got the game won. Or do you want to win by 40? like you've been doing just about every week here, except for like one game this season against San Antonio. What's it going to be? Interesting dilemma facing the Cougars these days as far as what they want. Chris tweets that as, 
Jake Scott, our good friend Jake Scott, you could hear him at 2-6 to six with him and Gordon, said yesterday that BYU playing and presumably beating Coastal Carolina does not get them in the New Year's Day sticks. Still, it won't be a big enough boost. Playing, beating a respectable P5 would have. Either way, good luck, BYU. Hope it works Stuart Mandel you. disagrees. Stuart Mandel, the great Stuart Mandel. <laughs> the great. He tweeted okay. out that they're in if they go 11, what are they, 9-0 and now? So that would be 11-0. 11-0 if they beat San Diego State and Coastal. Yeah, he, sa- he says they'll be in. You know what I've decided? Here's my belief. Instead of having a 13-member committee, we ought to just have a committee member of one. Whatever Urban says, that goes. Because when it comes to college football, when has Urban been wrong? I would be happy with Urban picking the four teams and then he sure knows what's what. Subsequent polls. <laughs> yes, when he when he's on that show, man, talking on Saturday mornings, he makes me sit up <laughs> and uh, be at attention because yeah. I feel like, and he's almost like in the military giving you orders to pay attention to what he's saying because he sure knows what he's talking about. And last Saturday, when he kept emphasizing that push play, and I know we've had one of our listeners, K, say, "Urban ought to press pause." Nah. I think the dude, the man, he knows what he's talking about. Stuart Mandel tweeting out, BYU wins and beats San Diego State. They will definitely make a New Year's Day 6. Who knows, maybe the committee will even gasp, move them above Georgia. Well, if you're the Cougars, it's like being in the college playoff. You only care that you're in the top four. Does it really matter if you're one or four or two or three? I don't think it does. You can argue the matchup obviously would be different, but what's you're going to have to play a quality team at that point to win. Twice you're going to have to play a quality team to win the national title, so that's really all that matters. And if you're BYU, the whole goal is being New Year's Day 6, so whatever that entails to get you in, the ranking at that point doesn't matter. So moving them ahead of Georgia, I, I, I just... I don't see any I don't see the Pac twelve getting any advantage versus the SEC. So I sure as heck I'm not gonna see BYU getting any advantage against the SEC. You wouldn't think so. SET teams are just gonna have to fall over themselves before even a Pac twelve gets in. Yeah, I would, and, to be honest with you, PK, I was stunned that USC was only at twenty this week. But yeah, well, they haven't beaten a team that's won a game that, this year. That's, that's the thing. Their, their resume is not yeah. great. Right. And it's all jacked up. I mean, to say that, it's so outrageous. I mean, the Devils have only played once and have been off for three weeks. So I don't know how you expect them to, to compete at the level that they need to this week. So, uh, And if the Utes lose to Oregon State, you might be able to say the same thing. Now, I don't expect – the Utes to lose to Oregon State. I expect them to win. They got to. They got to find a way to win a ball game, even in this season that doesn't amount to much record-wise. Uh, they still got to find a way to win a ball game. The Devils haven't played for three weeks. The Utes can't use that as an excuse. They played the last two, so they've been practicing. 
So they got to find a way. All right, thanks for listening this morning. Coming up next, Scott in hands. They'll continue to talk about it, plus Scotty tonight with Utah State and Air Force. We'll have the pregame show with Scotty on the microphone at 6.30. Stay with us, 97.5, 1280 The Zone.